You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ashley Blanchett, welcome to Token Theater Friends. Uh, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. It's although this won't air obviously today, uh, and it didn't air yesterday, which was Thanksgiving. Just people, if you're hearing this, forget about all this nonsense that I'm saying right now, and let me get to the point of the question, which is Ashley, what were you thankful for? Uh, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving, even if? is going to be aired in the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm thankful for so many things. I feel like the pandemic really put a lot of things in perspective. And one of the main things for me was that I wasn't doing a good job of balance in my life. And um, if you could take it as a gift, you know, not being able to do what I had trained to do my whole life, what I had been doing with my career, what I've been so, you know, streamlined focused on, didn't exist anymore for at least a year. And so it made me have to take a step back and say, who else am I? What else is important to me? And um, a lot of that I realized was the people in my life and my family and my chosen family. And so I think this year, one of the things that I was thankful for was starting to really make an effort to balance that out a little bit better and to, you know, to start to take more time on purpose, you know, to um, cultivate self-care, to, uh, to cultivate my relationships and see that as an equal part of who I am and not just something that I do when I come home at night and it's whatever, you know? And that's easier than done, some days better than others, um, but very grateful for the love that I have in my life, the people that I love, people that are around me and my chosen family, which is who I spent my Thanksgiving with because my family lives in Boston. And most years I actually spend the holidays with them because a lot of, as you know, a lot of theater happens on holidays. It happens on Christmas. You, you, you do your Christmas in the morning and then you come see a show at night. So a lot of holidays I have spent in New York city with my chosen family. Um, and so they're very important to me. And so yesterday was a day of thinking about that and, and taking time to reiterate how, how important that is and how, how blessed I feel to have those people in my life. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And speaking of gifts, I honestly cannot think of a better gift in theater form than getting to see The Sound of Music. So 
Can you tell us? If, I mean, I don't think there's anyone on the planet who doesn't know the sound of music, but can you <laughs> tell us a little bit about, for those people who don't, what is For the those music? bad people that don't know the sound of music. <laughs> um, it's an interesting story because it, I feel like it became the most popular movie musical of all time. You know, it, it broke so many records when it first came out. But the story itself is really not something that you would think is that predictable. It's a story. It's a true story of a woman um, in Austria, M Maria Rayner, who uh, was going to be a nun. And um, she ended up becoming the nanny, basically, for um, this a captain in the navies. Um, he had a whole bunch of children with his late wife and um, they ended up getting married and then they ended up coming to eventually coming to America actually um, trying to escape the Nazis in World War II. And so this story takes that snapshot of their very exciting life with all their children and, um, and they were and they were singers. Um, they were a family of singers and um, actually the family still um, sings today and the grandchildren still um, give tours and tell the story. And um, it's, it's a very special, I think, story of resilience. And over the Christmas season, I think what's fun about it is it really is about the love, family love, which is actually, that's so funny, it's what I was just talking about with Thanksgiving, but um, you, really, you really understand, I think both concepts of um, his nostalgia for having to leave his country when um, the political arena changes, which is something that I think we're all kind of relating to in America right now. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just the story of, of, of love. And it's kind of a Beauty and the Beast type of story because the captain is very strict when she first gets there. And she's kind of able to show him how to um, hear music again, which I think is really just a metaphor for expressing love and showing love to his children. And so that's why I say it's Beauty and the Beast because he kind of softens up and um, through love actually, you know, becomes a, a better person. And here's Cosmo to agree with me. Uh, Cosmo, <laughs> I wonder what Cosmo's favorite song in the, in the musical is. <laughs> Doe a deer, a female deer. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, from Mary Martin to obviously Julie Andrews, who I think is the Maria that all of us think about. And mm -hmm. uh, even Carrie Underwood played her in the live musical yes. version that NBC did a few uh, years ago. When you get the opportunity to play a character that's so loved by people from so many generations, that's so everyone thinks they know Maria, as an actor for you, what is the challenge? How do you find something about Maria to make her Ashley Blanchett's Maria? Absolutely, it is a trap. It is a whole other trap <laughs> because I grew up watching this movie over and over again. I adored Julie Andrews as a kid. I watched her in Thoroughly Modern Millie. I watched her in Sound of Music. I wrote to her as a kid. My mother just sent me the letter where I was like, please, if you would send me an autographed picture, I want to be a musical performer and I just love you so much. And I think your voice is kind of a miracle. And like, you know, this little like seven-year-old girl writing to her. So I have the line readings of the way that Julie Andrews does it in the movie in my head and then I'm a little bit self-conscious knowing that a percentage of the audience probably has that. Because sometimes 
you know, when I do musicals and I'm like, ooh, I have this musical in my head. I'm like, but the audience doesn't remember. But in this case, the audience, probably a percentage of them will remember. So it's a balance though, because I don't want to just redo the line readings that I have in my head just for the sake of being different. So it has been a study in really going back to as much of my training as I possibly can. And a lot of that has to do with not only like breaking down the script and seeing what it is and seeing what, you know, what the songs actually say with their lyrics and sitting down with it and actually looking at it instead of just singing it from memory. Um, but on top of that, I think what's really been helpful for me is um, the other actors on stage and really listening to them and really and really working off of whatever they give me and not having sort of a planned performance or a planned way of that I'm gonna say these lines and um, going off of what they give me and what I'm seeing in real time helps me to adjust it to my own interpretation. And the more that we rehearse, the more that we do it, I'm sort of finding my own curves and valleys of, of slightly, you know, interpretations of sort of the way that I would get this feeling across, that I would get this message across. And I think it's becoming more and more my own over time, which I'm really grateful for because it was a big fear of mine that I wouldn't be able to, because I'm a sponge and I, I, I'm an, I love to do impressions. So like, you know, I, I was afraid that it would just become a Julie Andrews impression, but um, yeah, it's, it's sort of slowly becoming my own, um, sort of trying to root it in, in the, you know, in my training and in, in, in the other actors on stage and what they're giving to me, which is what I do anyway, even if I didn't know the show. But have you discovered anything about Maria now getting to play her that you never knew as an audience member, as a little girl who loved Julie Andrews and his music? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, what's so funny about it is that as much as I love Julie Andrews, I didn't ever think about it in terms of, oh, that's me. You know, here's this blonde, blonde haired, blue eyed woman from Germany or Austria. And I, as a black, you know, I grew up in a household with two black parents um, and I'm a black woman. And so seeing that I didn't really like relate to that um, myself personally. However, now doing it myself and reading over the script and having had Mark Hobby, our wonderful director, you know, say, do you want to play this part? Um, I am sort of realizing like, oh, wow, she's outspoken. She is a rebel. And um, that's a really kind of a powerful characteristic for 1959 when it was written, that this woman is kind of, she's kind of a, yeah, she's, she's a rebel. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, she's speaking out against the captain when she first meets him, when she first walks through the door and she's continuing to challenge him and say, you know, not be afraid of him the way that everybody else is. And um, at the end of the play, that ends up being what what saves them from the Nazis is her ability to kind of be mischievous and not go with the flow and, and you know, think on her feet, which is her training from being a rebel all those years. Um, so I think in, in a way, it's kind of a feminist um, show about a woman who really isn't afraid to be herself, isn't afraid to speak her mind, isn't afraid to be honest. Um, and because she does it all through love. Um, so I think these, these are all things that I aspire to and these are all things that I, I would love to relate to. And it's fun to get a chance to realize like, oh, maybe I did connect to this all these years ago because um, I did sort of see myself in it, you know? And that, that is kind of fun to, to realize that even though it's not something that looks like you, 
it can still, you know, touch you for deeper reasons than you think. That's really beautiful. So I get that you were a rebel growing up. So <laughs> how, how was it in your family when you told your parents that you wanted to be an artist, that you wanted to be an actor? Well, I was very lucky because I had generations of people that sort of set me up for the ability to do this. You know, um, my father wanted to be a musician. He, he was incredibly musical. He wrote music on the piano without really ever having been taught it. He played the drums all through growing up, but his father never went to college and said, you have to go to college. You know, you, you, you have to do these things. So my dad became a businessman. He became a lawyer, but because of those things, when I grew up and I said, Hey, music is so important to me. I want to do this with my life. Instead of my dad saying, hey, you have to go and get into college and you have to do these things. I was very lucky. I was in the generation where he said, oh, I understand. I understand that pull. You know, I understand wanting to be a musician. And I have set our family up enough that I can send you to a performing arts um, high school. So I'm very cognizant of that privilege at all times that, that the generation just happened to hit me at the right spot that although my father wanted to be a musician, I'm the one that gets to benefit from it. So I'm very, I'm very, very grateful um, to my family for, you know, making those sacrifices so that I could do what I love. I wonder now if, if you're comfortable sharing if this is a too like personal, is there a song that your dad loves to hear you sing? That he's like, please sing that for me. <laughs> There's songs that my dad likes to sing for me. <laughs> No, my dad used to sing me to sleep actually a lot. And he would sing me a lot of his like school songs actually, because he was in the Glee Club. So he would sing all this music from the Glee Club that he would teach me and teach me songs in Latin. And we would go see Broadway shows because I grew up in New York. And so my family very oftentimes would take us to go see opera, to take us to go see musicals. And I'm very lucky for that as well. And it was a big part of our, of our home life growing up. My dad used to actually... This is a kind of interesting story. We would sing along to the Beatles, for example, on our way to him taking me to my ballet class, for example. And he would, we would sing along and then he would turn down the music at random moments and see if all the kids in the car could hold their harmonies. Um, and, you know, so I think even before I started taking like professional lessons, he was sort of instilling this importance of music and this love of music in me from a very young age. So that technically was the Maria Rayner yeah. in, figure, right, in, in, your, in your childhood. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're right, you're right. This was more a part of my childhood than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's really beautiful. I wonder if he ever made, like, outfits for all of you from the curtains and have you <laughs> yes, bike all over he town. Did. <laughs> Wait a minute, he did. <laughs> no. So being in a property that's again as beloved all over the world like the sound of music I wonder if the element is kind of you know like I, I sorry like I always bring up the Wizard of Oz for everything that's like my biggest I don't know if it's like too. yeah for everything so I wonder if for you you love the piece so much does being in the piece feel at all like Dorothy discovering that the wizard is just like an old guy behind a curtain or instead oh. does it allow you to uncover new magic that you didn't know was available for you until you're a part of the musical well I think anytime you work on a Rodgers and Hammerstein piece that's a classic I think you realize the depths of um, the genius behind it 
And it really is so well written, all of it. Um, one thing that's interesting about it is I don't think I ever realized how heightened the language is. It's, it, it's really not casual at all. It's very formal writing. Um, like she says at one point, um, I don't think first of myself anymore. I think first of him. And you really have to think of it almost like Shakespearean kind of at this point, because nobody really speaks like that and endow it with so much subtext. But every single word is thought of very specifically and put out there for a very specific reason. All the comedy is very specific, you know? Um, the writing is just so, so good that if you follow this map, you really, you really understand what they were going for and you see how it works. And you almost don't really want to mess with it too far because it's such a, it's just, it just works so well. That, I think that's why it's a classic, you know, because it's just, you, you discover little things about it as we're doing it constantly where you're like, oh, wow, like that's, that's so well done. That's so well made. And I think it's, it stands the test of time, you know, comes on for Christmas every year because it touches people in a really deep way. Um, and it's, and it's just put together so well. And I think it's, it's surprising how touching it is. Um, because you think at first it's just the story of a woman who is, you know, going to be a nanny with children, but it has more depth than it just being about a woman and kids and fun and laughter and music. I think it, it really has some serious adult messages, you know, about, about resilience and about nostalgia and about love and about loss. And I think everybody can relate to it, even if they're not currently escaping Nazis. I think these are all themes that really come through, especially with the beauty of the music. I think you hear these songs, you hear Edelweiss, you hear Climb Every Mountain. And I think everybody in the room while we've been rehearsing has been surprised by, you know, how, how deeply it touches us and how much this music um, really hits home because of how beautiful it is. Okay, so can you brag a little bit now about getting to the title song? Like, I feel like every little child on earth has always wanted to troll. You know, we see a spot of grass somewhere and all of us are Maria uh, Rainer suddenly, <laughs> and you get to do that. Uh, yeah. You're gonna get to do that every night for a while. So yeah. what's going on in your mind with the trolls? And like, it's, I, 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 it's probably like the most iconic title song in any musical ever, I think. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest song of the show for me, honestly, where it's placed in my voice. It, we decided to take it up a third because it, where it's written in the score, the score that they send out to um, people to perform the show, it's lower than in the movie. So we're like, let's put it back up, which was my big stupid idea. But so now I really have to be warm and really have to be ready. And also the show actually starts in the Abbey with all the nuns singing Oh, and they sound so beautiful. We have these beautiful singers that are classically trained. And so the sound of it is just stunning. And it starts off with, in complete silence. It's a cappella, And you just hear the sound of these beautifully trained singers. And it's gorgeous. And so then I come on. So I really have to be on my game after they sing and really inspired by hearing them. Um, and, and that song is, is the, the highest in my register. So I'm, I'm actually just in rehearsal. I've been focusing on my technique. I've been focusing on, focusing on placing it right, making it sound good. But hopefully by the time we start performing it, I can let go of that a little bit and I can enjoy it. And I can not have to think about taking deep breaths for the right moment and all that stuff, because it, it really is 
it is a beautiful song and um it's a song that everybody i think from the very beginning everyone just hears this music and they're just like oh i know this as well as i know the alphabet you know it is almost like our american traditional music i think is classical musical theater these are songs that we sing at christmas time these are songs that we've heard all our lives whether we know the musical or not and so i think it just hits different when you grow up hearing it and knowing it and you know um so i think i think it is it is kind of a cool moment for everybody in the room at least while we've been rehearsing it to be like wow this is really this is really meaningful to us in a way we didn't think it was going to be when we when we got the job i love it so much is there a song in the musical that maria doesn't get to sing that you would love to sing at some point like, <laughs> if they were to do remember that west side story where Chair did every part. <laughs> if they were to do that with you, is there a song from the time of music that you're like, oh, anything to sing that song someday? <laughs> you know what? They, this musical, I, I can't be too greedy. Maria gets to sing most of the songs. Um, but I do enjoy watching um, Elsa and Max while they're, they actually have two songs that were cut from the movie that are bops, they're jams. So I think people are going to enjoy hearing two new Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals uh, songs that they're maybe not used to hearing that are obviously great songs that they'll love from the minute they hear them. And then of course, 16 going on 17, we have um, two actors that are, that are so lovable and so cute and the choreography is so cute. So I enjoy um, watching those while I take a sip of water and rest every time we've been running it. Um, I don't know if I need to do it, but it's it, they they're doing a great job performing it. So I'm excited to see it when we move into the theater and see how it, it really comes to life. Those 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 songs. I do love the songs that were caught from the movie. Like I agree, there are people who don't know them are definitely in for a treat. I don't know how to sing, but I um <laughs> although Maria would say yes, you do. Uh but mm -hmm. I, I, I have such a soft spot for Edelweiss and Mm. I, one of my father's favorite songs and when I read in I, I some book um some bio or something when I read that it was the last song that Rogers and Hammerstein wrote together every time that I listened to Edelweiss I just start sobbing because it's this like I mean I don't need to tell you this it's like this beautiful anthem about loving your home so much and like you mentioned earlier although Unfortunately, we aren't running from Nazis right this moment. A lot of the things that are happening in the show, we're seeing a lot of like parallels in, in real life. Like obviously what's happening in America and there's also the right, you know, the, the, the ascense of the, of the, the ascension, sorry, of the, of the far right here, which is getting super scary in so many different ways. Is being in the sound of music in any way like medicine or a balm for you to understand a little bit of what's happening in the world and to maybe calm down your fears and anxieties uh, at all. Yeah, I know what you mean, especially when we're talking about the song Edelweiss. The first time that we heard it um, in rehearsal, I realized how much I could relate to the idea of um, someone you know, loving their home and seeing it change politically and seeing all this hatred come in and not relating to it at all. 
And uh, what's beautiful about that moment is that he is escaping the country. He's becoming a refugee from this country that he loves so much. But what he's doing is he's singing a patriotic song and he's saying, bless my homeland forever. And I think that that is uh, such a beautiful sentiment that, you know, instead of feeling like, you know, everybody that I know is like, I'm so embarrassed to be an American. You know, I don't, I'm not proud of it, especially when Trump was president, you know, like, but all the things that he unleashed, all the Nazism that he unleashed, you know, the um, white supremacy that he unleashed. Um, I think people that I know are saying, I'm embarrassed to be American. I hate being American, but for all that to be happening in your country and for you to say, bless my homeland, I'll, I'll, I'll always feel, you know, like this is my home. Um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think it's one that I wouldn't have felt except for what's been going on in our country for the past few years. Um, so yeah, so in, I, I don't know, I don't know if it makes me feel better to know that, you know, gosh, we, that we can relate to what was going on in World War II, you would like to think that we had learned from it and that we would look down on it and say, how could people behave like that? You know, people don't behave like that anymore. Um, in some ways, it is kind of sad that we can connect to it, but it goes to show you, you know, what being a human is about is, you know, in a classical piece, what they bring up, up about being a human is oftentimes things that we can relate to no matter what's going on in the political climate or, you know, in, in, the, in that time period, you know, these are, these are feelings that maybe will never go away. You know, how do we all get along together um, is a question I think we're going to be asking as long as humans are around. Um, and uh, I hope, I, I like to think that we are getting better at it. I feel like as Martin Luther King said, you know, the, the arc of, um, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice, you know? And um, so, I, so I think as you look back through history, you say, okay, you know, these things may have been going on, but hopefully things are getting better. We're becoming more self-aware. We're becoming less, um, you know, horrible to each other to some extent, to some extent. And I, I like to think that we're, we're learning and we're improving as humans and that, you know, we're becoming less harmful to each other and to the planet as time goes on. That's what I believe. That's the hope, right? So, you know, onto a, a more a happier note, I would say from, <laughs> you know, from, from Frozen to Cinderella to The Sound of Music, so many of the characters that you played, I can imagine have tons and probably hundreds and thousands of little boys and little girls who see you and you're their dream princess and you're who they want to be and you're that role model and you're also doing shows that in so many ways provide children with invaluable lessons so other than the sound of music what were some of your favorites growing up that taught you something about the world that that gave you priceless knowledge in musical form i think that when I was growing up, there was a lot of like Disney musicals that like Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote um, that I think really touched 
the entire community because I was watching a lot of like golden age musicals that not a lot of kids were watching because I was a nerd. But I think that the Disney musicals definitely touch people. And I think that they definitely had messages um, about love, about treating people well. Um, I feel like in Beauty and the Beast, there's a line that's like, um, they're, they're going to kill the beast. And they're like, we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And this monster is mysterious, at least. And like over time, you realize, like, oh, that's a, that's a kind of an awesome lyric. We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. Like, oh, that's a good one. Um, so I think any Disney musical has a lot of like good gems if you watch them again. Um, any, any, any famous musical I would say probably has themes that are beautiful. The one that jumps out to me at the moment is West Side Story. Um, I think, you know, that's probably the most famous and best musical of all time. And it sure definitely has some beautiful messages. Um, about love. I think pretty much any musical or in any story that has an uplifting message, it probably comes back to love and loving, loving people and being more, being more loving towards people is probably what the message comes down to eventually. Um, and I think every musical is probably about that to some extent. Yeah. I mean, like Bert Backrest said it, right? Like what the, what the world needs now is love. Yeah. And that's what music is. You know, I think it's me. I think it's music in a different wavelength. I think that's why it, why it touches people so much because you know it doesn't. You don't have to translate it. It's not in any particular language. It's in every language. As soon as you hear it, we can all relate um, to the way that we're touched by it. And I I don't know why. I would love to find out from some like scientist or something. You know what it is. Is it is it because when we were in the womb, you know, we heard these sounds and we feel, you know, safe or something? I don't know what it is, but I do know that music is medicine, you know, and um, and I think that's that's what musicals are all about. They're medicine. And not to mix all my Julie Andrews references, but you will be giving people sweet medicine from December second through January third, right? at Paper Mill Playhouse. So would you like to invite our viewers and our listeners to come see you as Maria in The Sound of Music? Yes, please come. And thank you so much for, uh, for putting this out there. It's gonna be a really beautiful time and it's, it's a really fun thing to do for Christmas, I think, with, your, with the family. So come on down to Milburn, to the Paper Mill Playhouse and come check us out. Thank you so much, Ashley. Break a leg. Uh, 12 for me. When you do the sound of music. I'll think of you, Jose. I'll think of you for sure and try to enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.